you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome, everybody. It is so good to see all of you who are here with us in person, and we're so grateful for those of you who are joining us online. And so whether this is your first time joining us online or first time here in person, or whether you've been with us for years, uh, know that you were prayed for, cared for, and loved before you showed up here or before you turned on the screen. And maybe you're listening or watching throughout the week. Uh, that same goes for you. That as we are coming together, whether in person or online, to dive into God's word, that I believe that each person who hears my voice and is going to listen to the message that God has for us this morning is someone that God created, formed, and loves, that Jesus died for, and that the Holy Spirit wants to draw closer to the Father today. And so with that in mind, um, we are in a season called, a, a season called Seasons? That doesn't make sense. We're in a series called Seasons in which we are looking at different seasons of our faith and relationship with God, when things are going really well, when things aren't. And so we're going to unpack what that looks like. But before we dive into Psalm 86, which is where we'll be, if you want to follow along, there's Bibles in the seat racks in front of you. Uh, you can also follow along on the Bible app. If you're watching online, click the Bible tab. You could be in Psalm 86 with us as we go through the 17 verses together. But before before we dive in, I'd ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to hear what God has for each and every one of us this morning. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here with us this morning, whether here is live in person, live online, or watching midweek or listening midweek. God, we know that each person who hears my voice is someone that you create and you love, you formed. God, someone that Jesus died for, someone the Holy Spirit wants to draw one step closer to you this morning. So, Lord, I ask that we would have the eyes and the ears and the hearts opened to, be, to prepare for whatever it is you have for us. I pray that as we dive into your word that I would decrease and that you would increase and that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us this morning, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for our church and pray that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 86, and if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, we've started to talk through, again, different seasons in our relationship with God, and this week, we're talking about the fall season. We're going to unpack what that means, but the topic of the sermon is called Fall from Grace. Now, when we hear the phrasing fall from grace, that may immediately bring to mind maybe some, some famous um, like celebrities or politicians or people who've had this great like rise in their in their walk um, or excuse me, not their walk but in their uh, jobs and their occupation and then they have something come up and it's like a moral failure or something that happens that creates this fall from grace now a fall from grace can be something that's that big it can be something in our lives that maybe from our own doing that we have experienced a, a fall from where we once were to hitting a rock bottom but that may be part of it, but what I want to unpack a little bit more today is not so much this big like moral failure fall from grace, but what happens when the way that we envision the world and the way that we experience God and the world that we have, and it seems like everything's fine, that things are going well. What does it look like when we experience that grace and we experience that favor, but then 
it starts to slip away and it starts to fall from, where, from the heights of where we once were to our current level of struggle or concern or frustration. Now, when I was 12 years old, uh, I played Little League Baseball and um, I, I played for the Giants, so it was like ordained because I love the Giants. Uh, I played for Homestead Little League in Santa Clara, California. Uh, I'm sure all of you know about how wonderful our Little League was. Now it makes nothing. So I was 12 years old and I was captain of our team. Now, um, our manager, our coach said at the beginning of the year, like, I don't typically have captains. I like to rotate them, but I want there to be one um, permanent captain this year, and then we'll rotate the others. And so uh, he asked me to be the captain, and I played catcher. I loved playing catcher. I loved being involved in all the, uh, in every play. I loved being able to be a part of that. Loved seeing the field. It was just my favorite. Um, that year, uh, in our league, I would bat about 900. So if you follow baseball at all, 900 means nine out of 10 times I would get a hit. That means that the, like the best season in Major League Baseball, like the one that we look at is like Ted Williams, when he, bat, when he batted 400, four out of 10 times he would get a hit is an astronomical number that people have not really been able to reach. But in Little League, Ted Williams ain't had nothing on me, right? So I'm batting 900. I'm playing catcher. I'm captain of the team. I loved it. I was enjoying baseball. I loved playing. And I got selected to the all-star game, or the all-star team, excuse me. Now, if you follow ESPN, the the Little League uh, World Series has become a much bigger deal than it was. Like, it was still a little bit on TV, but now it's a much bigger deal with all the different coverage and all the games. And I'm like, I I couldn't imagine 12 years old the amount of weight that that has. But what I remember is that when I was captain of the team, batting 900, doing really well, when I got picked for the all-star team, I was now like the second or third string catcher. And I went from playing really well, doing really well, captain, to getting to the point where I was not, I barely even touched the field. And I started, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a good teammate, right, and cheering people on, but there's still that moment of like, man, I used to be up here. And now I'm down here. What does that look like? How do I navigate that? I had a coach um, that around that time where he started being a little harsher on me, and I just stopped. I just stopped loving the game as much. And then this is this sounds like it's a um, a joke, and it's not. I started struggling with baseball once I start because I started having trouble with the curve, which is like a. Like, I think it's like a sports movie that came out with, like, Kevin Costner probably 20 years ago. But this idea of, like, once curveballs started coming and pitchers my age were pitching them, I would swing and I would miss. And so all of a sudden, I literally had trouble with the curve to the point where I took a year off of baseball. I tried out for my high school team. Our high school is very competitive in all these different sports. And so it wasn't just like a you show up, you're on the team. There were tryouts. And I remember trying to hit curveballs and trying to did not grade and try to play catcher and was not great. And I happened somehow to see the coach had like listed every name of who was trying out and then gave a letter grade right, of like what their assessment was of that player. And I look up my name and I see C plus. And I'm like, well, C's pass, right? Like that should be okay. Got cut right away. I remember showing up to where the classroom had the, the, the tryouts results and the, who would make the first cuts. And I was a freshman trying to say, okay, this is where I'm gonna find my, my I'm gonna be a baseball player here at my school and I'm gonna be able to do that. And I walk up and as I go and I look and I see that I didn't make the first cut, 
and I'm just crestfallen. And some upperclassmen's like, oh, you didn't make the cut. How sad. I'm like, you're sad. You know, like you don't even have a response. And I left. But the moment of like just two years prior, I was up here. I was in all favor. And I was doing really well. And all of a sudden, that completely switched to the point where I'd never, where I'd, I'd never played a, uh, an organized game of baseball again. And so I'm fine and you're fine. No, I'm just kidding. So recognizing that there's this loss, there's this moment where you think things are going well. And so just like me, maybe in life, you are, things have been going well. You're experiencing a summer season. What happens when life throws you a curveball? What happens when the way you experience life and the way you thought about God and how you thought he showed up does not match the reality of your experiences? When life throws you a curveball and you can't, you swing and you miss, and all of a sudden you start to lose that confidence, not in your abilities maybe, but in God's goodness, how do we navigate that? How do we lean into that? How do we draw closer to the Lord through that? So we're going to unpack, and this is our sermon series season series sermons, just a lot of words in a row. Our sermon series, like main point, that we're, gonna, we're bringing up every single week is that the more things change, the seasons change, our lives change, the more things change, the more we realize God stays the same. He's the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God you experience in your summer season when things are great, he's the same God who's with us when we're in the transition of fall. As we look on the next slide, fall is a season of transition. It's the season where things are green and going really well, and then all of a sudden it turns orange and yellow, and then it eventually leads way to winter. So the same God who's with you in your summer is with you in this time of transition when things are starting to change and you're starting to get faced with curveballs. He's the same God in the midst of winter, a time of grieving, a time of loss, of death, of acknowledging that things are no longer the way they once were. He's the same God in the midst of Spring, when there's fruitfulness, when new life starts to come. And he's the same God back in summer when things are going really well. There's an abundance. That terminology of those four different seasons comes from Pete Scazzaro's um, leadership podcast from April 24th, 2018. That's titled, Which Season Are You In? And so if you'd like to find out any more information about that, you could listen to that. It's about 30 minutes or so. But fall is a beautiful season. It can be beautiful. Even though it's the midst of transition, it can still be a beautiful season. Now, I wonder, this is just me wondering aloud rather than making a declarative statement, but I wonder if sometimes people like us who are living in Southern California, a climate in which we don't have a bunch of different seasons, I wonder if it's harder for us maybe to assess and acknowledge and and recognize different seasons in our walk with God because we don't experience as readily available seasons as other places in our country and other places in the world. So a couple years ago, I'm not quite sure, I think it's 2018 or 19, uh, Evan and Linda Foote went to uh, the Northeast and they were able to take pictures of the fall leaves that were there. I only took a couple of them, but there's some beautiful pictures on there. And the one on the left, you just see that beautiful tree that's yellow, surrounded by green. I love the one on the right that has like the sky blue, but also you see the greens and the oranges and the reds. And it's a beautiful season and we see the, the leaves start to change color, but Out of that beauty, the reason that's happening is because those leaves are starting to die away. 
And there's beauty in some of that transition. There's beauty in that loss. There's beauty in that because then shortly after fall, all the leaves end up on the ground and we enter into a winter. But this autumn season is a season where animals start to get their food ready for hibernation. It's those who are preparing for winter and recognizing that out of the transition of fall, it can be beautiful. But that moment when life we think is this and like, oh, things are filling God's grace and favor. And it starts to turn and we get thrown curveballs. We struggle. So fall is beautiful and difficult. In fact, one of the ways that fall is beautiful in the midst of the trees, there's a picture I want to show you, a zoomed out picture from Oregon, in which when they were, uh, there were some people who were planting, they do this in forestation, and in this specific area in Oregon, they planted larch trees, which I just found out about, L-A-R-C-H, which bloom very yellow in the fall. And so every year, um, for about 30 years it's going to go on, before they have to replant everything, you see a smiley face that is put on the side of an Oregon hillside. In fact, the next picture shows it even more clearly um, as you start to see the way they planted it to paint this picture of fall and this beautiful, happy face. Now, that's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's great. But again, fall is a season of beauty and transition. It's a season in which things can, we, we're holding on tight to the things and how they were, but we're starting to recognize that's not necessarily how they always are. And so uh, another set of context, if you've not been with us the past few weeks, um, we're coinciding the Pete Scazzaro Four Seasons that we just mentioned here, and we're combining that idea with Walter Brueggemann's Spirituality of the Psalms book. And in that book, he posits and he describes three different types of psalms. And so we're unpacking them one week at a time. So the first one is Psalms of Orientation. This is like summer. This is when we see that we orient our lives on God and what we think should happen is what happens. That there's coherence, that God is good, he is faithful. We follow him and we receive the blessings of following him. And we recognize that things are as they seem and we want to stay in summer forever and yet inevitably fall comes. And fall is the beginning of the next type of psalms are the psalms of disorientation. The ones in which everything seems to be, this is how great, and it starts to turn on its head. What once was up now is down. Our highs and our lows and our ebbs and our flows and our relationship with God, we experience these things to the point where now we're not so sure. If God was so good before and when I did good things, good things happened to me, what does that mean now? Because if we only believe that God is good when our life is good, the opposite of that would be that God is bad when life is bad, and yet that's not true. Remember, friends, God, the more things change, the more God stays the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does it look like for us to lean into seasons of disorientation? And we're going to look at that transition this morning and fall, and then next week we'll look at it even further as we look in the, um, the season of winter. And then the last psalm or type of psalms that Walter Brueggemann talks about is the season or the psalms of new orientation. This is the life that comes out after the difficulty. This is a new understanding and depth and relationship and intimacy with God. That's not the same as it was the summer before. It's deeper. It's richer. 
more mature or just more impactful in a way that now we are changed because we've been through the fire, because we've been through the storm, because we've gone through these difficulties, we're able to experience God in a newer, truer, deeper way. And so that's what we're going to talk about in a few weeks about spring, the new life that comes out of the death of winter. So that's all the context. That's where we've been. And here's where we're going. Psalm chapter 86. We're going to unpack together in the fall season. We come to grips with a few things. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make one statement that we're going to build out a couple words at a time that will hopefully give us some framework to know how to navigate the fall whenever we're in a season of transition, when life throws us curveballs, and when our experience of God is not what we hoped for or expected it to be. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is that in the fall, we come to grips with why we cry out, why it is that we turn to God, why it is that we're crying out to him because things are not the way we want them to be. In summer, we wouldn't even think about crying out because things are good. They're going well. And yet, when life throws us curveballs and when we start to see that our experience of God is not what we thought it would be, we cry out to him. And here is some of the things we learn looking at verses, or sorry, looking at Walter Brueggemann first. He says it this way. One move we make, so one move out of the seasons, is we make a, a move out of a settled orientation, summer, into a season of disorientation. And this move is experienced partly as changed circumstance, so something externally has changed around us, but it is much more a personal awareness and acknowledgement of the changed circumstance. What does that mean? It means that we can have external circumstances that are difficult that don't cause us to question God. If we're in a summer season, things are going well. We may have hiccups and bumps on the road, but we may be able to take it in stride. We might be able to look at, okay, like that's annoying, but we're still good. When disorientation starts, when this transition from things are going well to life throwing us curveballs, is when we start to realize not only is someone throwing me a curveball, I don't know how to hit it. Not only am I experiencing difficulties, I don't know how it matches my experience with God and what I expect him to be like. And so it's the awareness and it's the acknowledgement that things are different. And what will we do when those things are different? How will we respond? Well, David, as we're unpacking this series, every week we're looking at a psalm from David because in Psalm 31, verses 14 and 15, David proclaims, I trust in you, God. I love you. My seasons, my times are in your hands. So we're using that verse or those verses to set up how each one of these seasons, summer last week, fall this week, winter next week, spring the last week, all of them are experienced through the psalm writer David, the King David, who writes about his experience. So we can learn and see it through his eyes. So here's how he responds or how he starts to cry out to God, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. If you're looking at the screen, you'll notice that I highlighted a phrase that happens several times here in these first four verses. It's for I, and it's this, this word that just means, like, if someone's like, what'd you do that for? Like, they're asking you why. The answer is, we don't always say, I did this for that, but that's what we're responding, because of this, because of that. And so when we say, for I'm doing this, he's saying, he's crying out to God. 
And he says, hear me, Lord, and answer me. Why? Because I am poor and needy, for I am poor and needy. Rescue me, save me, guard my life, for I am faithful to you. You are my God, have mercy on me, but before I call to you all day long, bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. In other words, he's entering into this conversation with God, still with some of the mindset that comes from summer. That says, God, because of your coherence, and this is all from last week's message if you want to follow along or, or listen later, but because you are coherent, God, my understanding is if I, if I am faithful to you, you will be with me. You'll, you'll make sure that my life is guarded. God, if, I'm, if I call out to you, you'll answer me right away. God, if I'm struggling, you'll have mercy on me. And so he's saying, God, I'm, I'm doing all these things. Why? Because this is what you say you will do when I'm struggling. Hear me and answer me. Have mercy on me. Give me joy. Walk with me. All these different things. For I put my trust in you. So you could see some remnants from an orientation of a summer season, but then you recognize that there's still a curveball that's coming. Walter Brueggemann, in his book, he talks about it this way. He says this movement of dismantling, and a word that we hear a lot these days is this idea of deconstructing our faith. It's breaking down where we're at and figuring out what it is that who God says he is, what does his word say, breaking it down to its, its, its um, most clear essence, and then figuring out what that means for our lives. So what he says is the movement of dismantling of this old, known, comfortable summer season world that we were referring to, the movement of dismantling includes a rush of negativities, including rage, resentment, guilt, shame, isolation, despair, hatred, and hostility. It means that when life throws you curveballs, these are some of the things that we feel. And it's important for us to acknowledge that we, we tend to hide anger or sadness or fear. We, we tend to bury those emotions or maybe only show them to a few people if we're blessed enough to have few people to whom we can share, with whom we can share. But it's almost like we feel like if, if we love God and someone asks, how are you doing? But we have to say, well, I'm blessed. Things are great. And we say that and yet, that might be the mask that we put up when inside our lives are crumbling. We see our marriages struggling. We see our kids running far from God. We start to see that they're isolation and they're lonely, that we're struggling. We don't have friendships. We don't have people to turn to. And we say we're blessed. We say we're fine because we are almost afraid that if we acknowledge we're not blessed or not fine, that that will reflect negatively on God. That's almost like, well, God... You love your people. That means you have to make sure their lives are always good. But friends, seasons is how, that's how we experience God. It's not always an endless summer. All of us are being thrown, will be thrown, or have been thrown curveballs. We've all experienced times when what we thought is not matching what we are feeling and experiencing. And so there are times when we could go and we experience Rage and resentment and isolation. Rage, resentment, isolation, negativities. These are normal things. But however, friends, our next point is the important one when it comes to this. So many people will have rage, resentment, anger, fear, sadness, and they will make this choice. And this is the only way we lose when it comes to a relationship with God in different seasons. The way we lose, the way we miss out on what God has for us, 
is when we have all of our sadness, our anger, our fear, our resentment, all of those emotions, and we run from God because of them, rather than running to God with them. So we learn in the fall, we have to come to grips with why we cry out specifically to God, not to, we can, can we reach out to people for wisdom? Yes, of course. We want to have people on the journey with us. But as the screen will say in a moment, we, why we cry out to God specifically. Why is it that we run to him in the midst of all that? We'll see this here, starting in verse 5. It says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you've made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. I highlighted some of the phrases there because what you don't see in that first part for the you is that word for again, that word because. When we start presenting God, for I am like this, that's why I'm reaching out to you. The response from David is in like, God, for you, because you are Lord, you are forgiving and you are good. Because I call out and because you're good, you answer me. And for you are great, because you are great and do marvelous things, I know I can turn to you when life throws me curveballs. But the tension that we feel is if we only think of God as wanting all his people to have all good lives, only good things happen all of the time. And if we mistakenly believe that God is only good when our lives are good, then we, are, then we will mistakenly think that God, when things are bad, that God must be bad. But the more things change, the more God stays the same. He is always good, not contingent or based on our circumstances, but because of his character. For he is good. He is the only God. He is the one who's powerful enough to handle all of our difficulties. And so Psalms, David gives us a picture of what it looks like to give all of our negativities, all of our rage, all of our resentment, all of our isolation, all of our frustrations, all of our sadness, all of our fear, and say, God, instead of running from you because of them, I'm running to you with them. And he's big enough to handle all of these emotions. And if he didn't want us to give him all of those emotions, all those negative ones we try to hide, then why are 67 out of the 150 psalms psalms of lament like this? Psalms of crying out. Psalms of asking God to show up. Psalms of saying, God, life's throwing me curveballs, and yet, God, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. God, I need you. We cry out to him in the midst of this. And that last line, the idea that you alone are God, this is where the rubber meets the road because when we are tempted to run too away from God because of our negative emotions, we often run to other things or other people that we want, we wouldn't say it this way, but we want them to be the ones to give us hope or purpose or value or identity. And so we unwittingly try to make them our gods our idols, those to which we find our hope, our value, our purpose, and our identity. And so David is telling us, he's showing us, listen, God, I'm coming to you. This is hard. But God, you are good, and you are the only one who is God. 
All the other nations are going to bow down to you and worship you. Everyone else will come to realize at some point that, God, you are God. That we see in Philippians 2, the idea that every knee should bow in earth, or on earth, under the earth, and in heaven. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow down to God at some point. And, Lord, may we be ones who willingly bow down in submission and surrender to you now rather than searching to find our hope, our value, our purpose, and our identity in anything or anyone other than you. Because when we do that, we've discussed this before, but if you build your house on anyone or anything other than the foundation of Jesus Christ, when the storms hit, when the waters rise from the flood, and when the wind batters the side, the house, the life starts to crumble. Again, when we follow Jesus and we put into practice his words from Matthew 7, 24 through 27, those who know and love Jesus still experience the same storms from above, the same floods from below, and the same wind that batters aside. You're not protected from every storm because you love Jesus, but you will be able to withstand every storm when your foundation is built on Jesus. And so we recognize that we need to run to God with these, with these things rather than run from him because of these things. So, in the fall season, we come to grips with why we cry out, because things are tough. There's curveballs, and we're struggling. We learn that we cry out to God, because he's the only one who can really navigate this. Walter Brueggemann talks about, even in the midst of these difficult seasons, a season of disorientation we still see, has to do with God, and so we address God directly rather than run from him. The last section of the statement, when we cry out to God, and this one's a little bit more difficult or hard to always navigate, with praise. In the fall, we learn we can cry out to God with praise. Even though all of our external circumstances are indicating anything but praise, we can still find the ability to praise God in the midst of it. Not because we're perfect people, but because we can find our hope, our value, our identity, and our purpose in him. Verse 11 says it this way, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You've delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. In this section, in these verses, there's a few things we want to unpack. This idea that how we are able to praise God is if we have an undivided heart. That is infinitely more easy to say than it is to experience and to live out. The idea that when life throws us curveballs, when we experience these trials, when what we once thought and our life is being turned upside down, when we make sure that we take all of our emotions and don't run from God because of them, but run to God with them, we're able to have an undivided heart to say, God, all of this stinks. This is awful. And I don't know what else to do. But instead of running from you, I want an undivided heart. I want to run to you and acknowledge that I don't understand you based on what's going on. But I don't need to understand everything in my circumstances in order to know and understand your character. I don't need to have all the answers. 
to know the one to whom I go to for answers in time. I don't need to know how long this season's going to last because I know the more seasons change, the more things change, God, the more you stay the same. I don't have the answer to why, but I know to whom I go to for the who. So this idea that in the midst of that, we can still praise God in these storms. We can still praise him in the midst of that. That when David, or when David, excuse me, when the disciples are in the, um, in the ship, in the boat in Luke chapter 8, and Jesus is asleep during the storm. They say, Jesus, we're going to die. He wakes up, he tells the storm to be still. They were in awe and they praised him. And he said, you know, why did you doubt? Just because Jesus doesn't seem like he's attentive doesn't mean he's not present. And just because he's not doing what we want him to do in the moment we want him to do it doesn't mean he's not powerful enough to do it in his timing when he knows it's right to do these things. So we can still praise even in the midst of the storm. So we built this phrase together. We cry out to God with praise. But why and how? And that's easy to say in a sermon on a Sunday morning, but how and, and what's, the, what's the catalyst? What's the motivation? What is the ability for us to do that in life? Because sometimes the easiest moments or the easiest time of our week is the you know, Sunday morning when everything seems oriented again back in summer. And yet when we go home and our home is still filled with conflict and isolation, what do we do? When we go to work Monday through Friday and we're feeling emptiness and discouragement, what do we do? When we try to build relationships and we feel isolated, what do we do? How do we still hold on to God in the midst of the storm? So here's why we can cry out to him. It's very simple. This is not revolutionary. But it's a reminder that I hope will encourage you as much as it can encourage me. That we cry out to God with praise, number one, because of who he is, because of his very character, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, because God is good even when things are not good around me. Verse, starting in verse 15, uh, 14, excuse me, verses 14 and 15 paint this picture. It says, arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's saying this. It doesn't matter what's going on. Yes, he's acknowledging, God, I don't want those arrogant foes to attack me. I don't want that to happen. But them trying to attack me doesn't change the fact of who you are. Because no matter what's going on externally, God, you are compassionate. You are experiencing this pain with me. And your heart goes out to me. You are with me in the midst of it. You are gracious. You give, us, you give me far more than anything I deserve. You are abounding. Or excuse me, you're slow to anger. And friends, don't, let's be honest for a moment. Don't we often want God to be quick to anger for those we're mad at? And then we're so glad he's slow to anger with us. But his character is to be slow to anger. Does it mean he's never angry? No, he can get angry but he's slow to anger. He gives us space to come and present all these names and then to find hope and praise in him before we get to a point where we 
neglect him, try to seek other gods besides him. And then when those times happen, does God reserve the right to do things in our lives that we don't like that bring him back, bring us back to him? If that storm causes us to rely on him again, then I'm glad that he able, is with us in that storm so we don't forget him. He's abounding in love. He doesn't have barely just enough love. He's not trying to make like a cake and he's like, oh man, I need three quarts of love. Three quarts, that's probably way too much. I don't know. Um, but we only have so much love and I'm in the pantry. I don't have enough. He's abounding in love. It's more than enough. He's abounding in faithfulness. And we are reminded that because of who he is and what he's done, we can navigate seasons of transition, of fall, and of disorientation because it's not contingent upon us. It's contingent upon him. Timothy Keller in his devotional um, about the Psalms, his yearly devotional, he has this quotation when it comes to this passage. He says, again, the Psalms provide a clinic on how to face life when it seems out of control. David feels solitary and defenseless. He responds by reminding himself over and over who God is. He most often uses the, or he almost often calls God Lord, the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning sovereign. David is drilling his own heart to remember that God is in control. So if you're looking in your passage in Psalm 86, there are about five times where um, many of the translations will spell Lord, capital L, then lowercase o-r-d. And then there's about three, I believe, times where it's all caps, which is the word Yahweh. So the all caps is, is the name of God, the covenant relationship name with God. The other five times, it's the word Adonai. It means Lord. It's the one who's sovereign, who's in charge. So David is reminding us of something that's so important. It's that when our circumstances are turned upside down, it's reminding ourselves to say God is in control. I don't like it. I don't like everything that's happening, but he's sovereign. He's in control. Our seasons, our times, like Psalms 31, 14, 15, are in his hands. And so if we've trusted him when things are going well, he's still the same good God we can trust when things aren't. But we need to remind ourselves. We need to do the work of remembering who he is and what he's done for us. So inside my office, um, I have uh, something that I put right here. Uh, some of you may be wondering if this is a, a live animal or what's going on in here. But um, this is something I've showed before here, but I wanted to bring out again that in here are different stones of different places I've been, different things that God has taught me, different lessons or challenges or things that I would go and I would experience something and I would write down what it was that God taught me in the midst of that. And it's all based on Joshua 3 and 4 in which Joshua's leading the people, the Israelites, out of, after 40 years into the desert or in the wilderness. He's leading them into the promised land. And he goes, and the second that they step forward, the priests step into the water, holding the Ark of the Covenant, the water stops. But it stops 20 miles upstream in the city of Adam. So God was already working something, and the timing was so perfect that when the, his people walked in, the water ceased, and they were able to walk across into the promised land. Now, the priests are still standing in the middle of the water, and as they're standing there, Joshua says, take 12 stones, and each one member of each of the 12 tribes of Israel 
bring the 12 stones and put them as a reminder, as a memorial, as stones of remembrance so that when people, when your kids ask you, what does this mean? It can point them to the faithfulness of God and how he brought them into the promised land. So been starting to think about over years, just what are different lessons, different things that God has showed up? And I keep this in my office because when I'm going through a difficult time or I'm frustrated or confused or there's a rush of negativities when what once was good is now seeming disoriented, it's helpful to know how God has answered prayers in the past. It's helpful to remember that the same God who answered our prayers that we rejoiced six years ago is the same one that we are questioning and struggling with now. And so maybe for you, maybe you decide to get something like this and you write stones and you do that. Maybe for you, you're, you're a journaler and you don't do that. But maybe what you could do is you have a prayer journal in which you write down prayer requests or what you're going through. Maybe you have on, on the front part of your journal, you ask for prayers, you journal to God, you ask him and you say, God, will you answer this? Or what would you do in this? And I'm reaching out to you. But what would it look like if on the back cover, you started from the last page and you started writing down and dating the times in which God answered those prayers. The times when he answered things in the way that maybe wasn't even how you wanted, but it was even better than you expected. The times when he was faithful with, just, with a check that came out of nowhere, just the amount of money that you needed at the time. The time when he brought a friend to your kids right when you knew they needed it, a godly friend to come alongside them right when you knew they needed it the most. What would you do if you start to see how healings took place and you wrote that down? And there's this list of remembrances, a memorial that when people ask you, hey, what's the back of your journal about? Oh, friends, that's when God showed up. That's how I remember his faithfulness. Because even now when I don't like what's happening and I'm struggling and things are turned upside down, I can remember how God has been faithful. I can remember who he is. And not only that, friends, but as the last point in our slide says, we could cry out to God with praise for who he is and for what he has done. And we look back and we see how he showed up. Not always the way we wanted it, how we wanted it, but he's in control. Our times are in his hands and he's able to show up when we need him most. Verse 16, as we close. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your, your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. God, you've answered my prayers. You've met me in my struggle. You've comforted me in my pain. You've met me in my heartache. God, you know the cries of my heart, the tears on my pillows, the days of my life, and the hairs on my head. God, you know what it's like, and you have great compassion and love for me. And though I'm experiencing an upside-down life right now, God, give me an undivided heart. Help me not to run from you because of my struggles, but to run to you with my struggles. And remind me that who you are never changes. And what you've done gives me courage and peace to know you are, I'm still in your hands. In my devotional yesterday, Andy Stanley says this, and I want to read it um, for all of you as we navigate this together. Your circumstances don't necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Parents, we know this, that 
There are times that things are tough for our kids. doesn't mean we've ever stopped loving them, but sometimes they have tough things and we still love them in the midst of whether it's disciplining them to not be able to use the phone or whatever it is. There are still times when they don't feel like we love them, yet we do. Your circumstances don't necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Proof of how God feels about you is what happened at the cross. It's done. It's finished. He showed it, and he loves you more than you could ever hope for or imagine. You didn't earn any of his love when the cross happened. You can't earn any of his love today, and yet we, he freely gives it, and we can willingly accept it. He says, not your proof of what happened is at the cross, not what's happening at home, at school, or at work. Don't make the mistake of letting your faith hinge on what God has done for you lately. When God is inattentive, unavailable, or late, think about this when Jesus is in the boat with, during the storm. When that happens, look back and remember. Look outside your circumstances, outside your prison walls, and reflect on the activity of God. It's saying that, yes, we come to God with all of our difficulties, but let's not forget how he showed up in difficulties past. May how he showed up during difficulties past give us hope for difficulties present and give us the hope that we can have his peace during difficulties in the future. We can cry out to God in the fall. We hold fast to him even when the world's turned upside down. And we can do so with praise because of who he is. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, strong compassion, and because of what he's done. He's answered prayers. He's moved mountains. He's created healings. He's mended relationships. He's met you in the mire and the muck of your life, and he's helped set your feet upon a rock. So when we get muddy and things get mucky again, let us still hold fast to the one who sets our feet on the rock. So whatever season you're in, mathematically, a fourth of you are in the season of transition and difficulty. And that's only if it's based on math, which it isn't. But if you're in this season of transition, there's some beauty that comes out of that. There's some heartache that comes with that. But remember, we can cry out to God with praise because of who he is and what he's done. And the more things change around us, the more we're reminded that God stays the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who um, is part of our service today, each person who hears my voice or is listening or watching later. God, I thank you for the fact that you are with us in whatever season we're experiencing. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are in a season of difficulty where we're feeling a rush of negativities towards you because we've, our life has been thrown curveballs, may we remember who you are. May we remember what you've done. May you give us undivided hearts. And may we not try to seek any other God beside you to give us hope or value or purpose or identity. But instead, Lord, we run to you with all of our heartache, knowing that you meet us where we are. You love us far more than we can imagine. And the proof of your love for us is not anything we can do. It's what Jesus has already done. And because of that, we can cry out to you with praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. 
We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.